Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I am joined by Stefano Rose, the founder of a Salesforce consulting practice called Next Avenue. Stefano talks about his education, why he decided to study software engineering, and some of the major obstacles he had to overcome when he first started his degree. He explains why he chose Accenture when he first joined the workforce and runs through the exposure he gained working in their Mauritian office servicing European and North American clients. Stefano then explains why he started Next Avenue and where his entrepreneurial spirit comes from. He describes the challenges he has faced since starting the business and the skills that he has had to learn along the way. Stefano talks openly about the difficulties that arise from bootstrapping a business, why he is honest with potential new employees about his expectations from them and the non-glamorous side of consulting they may face, and he also shares some tips on how others may be able to get started with their own consulting business. Finally, we talk about his plans for the future, how he aims to put Mauritius on the map and further expand his business into Africa and beyond. I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Flow Republic. Flow Republic is the elite Salesforce Academy, helping architects all over the world to realize their goal of becoming a Salesforce certified technical architect. The success that architects are having with Flow Republic is incredible. So if you are on your journey to CTA, then I highly recommend checking out flowrepublic.com to understand how they can help you. Stefano Rose, welcome to Talent Hub Talk. My pleasure, Ben. Really good to have you here. Obviously, we've known each other for many years now, but I'm I'm excited to share your story with our audience. And yeah, I've I've seen you develop over the years. Um, you know, first arriving in Australia with big plans, and obviously now a company, a founder, and the director of your own business. So really keen to explore that. But also, just to get started, I'm keen to hear a bit more about what got you to this point. So. If we go back to your early career and aspirations, what was it that first got you interested in computers? And I believe you studied software engineering back home in Mauritius. So what was it about software engineering that particularly um, took your interest? Correct. So look, to put it this way, I'll be bluntly honest about it. I even failed computer science at high school. And finally, later, it was one of my only path to come to Australia. So I had to find something that I kind of like not necessarily knowing whether I love it or not, I kind of like to be able to create the max chances to get a permanent resident visa for Australia. So I was like, okay, let's go full into it and let's start onto a software engineering course at uni. And again, to add a bit more details about it, I had no computer at that time at home. We had no internet. Maybe I was around 20, still no internet at home and no computer. So I was going on a journey where, yeah, going to study software engineering, but no computer at home, no internet. Good start. So what did you, like, were there any other things you considered at that point? Like, was it just purely for you, it was the driver was to get to Australia, that it wasn't necessarily about the career, it was about the destination of where you would live? Yeah, look, I grew up with that big dream of going and explore the world. And while growing up, seeing families and cousins going to Australia and other friends from high school, they were all leaving and going to study abroad to Australia, coming to Sydney or Melbourne. 
I grew up with that big wish of like, hey, let's make Australia the main anchor point to start. And then we go to other places like New York City or London later, right, over the years. And yeah, I was like, okay, we need to do something of interest. To be honest with you, I really wanted to be an airline pilot and not work in technology. But then seeing everything that happened from the time of Facebook and all of those other big companies popping up, it was like, oh, there's surely a lot of work in tech. So catching that wave would, would surely be a sure path to earn my bread first, to be able to help my family, to be able to create the fuel. I call money the fuel. Yeah, to create the fuel to power the dreams. Yeah, nice. So yeah, was a bit of a lot of that behind, yeah. So when you started studying, I want to explore this a bit further because, um, you know, you didn't have internet at home, you didn't have a computer. You'd failed computer science as a subject within your high school. So how challenging did you find software engineering at first? Not super challenging, I would say, because I spent a lot of time after hours at uni staying there to use the computers there in the, in the labs a bit more, making use of internet over, I would say, and again, not blaming uni, the internet was so massively slow at that time. It was absolutely crazy. So I was pretty much doing all my research there, saving on a pen. Now, while I was working part-time before I started uni, to make it a simple story, right? There's so much that happened before that. I started working and I bought myself a computer that I paid, like a buy now, pay later thing. You know, you're just paying a little chunk every month. So I got my computer, but then I was with no internet. So therefore I had to do all the research outside of home at uni, using all the after hours, after classes, do all research, save on a long word doc, like copy pasting web pages, <laughs> save on a pen drive, <laughs> get into my computer, and then go through there and yeah, pretty much learn how to write C, C++, you know, playing with MySQL databases, just pretty much in a computer with no network. So that was a bit the beginning. Not super challenging because I was, I love mathematics. And a lot of anything that's, that's linked to kind of logic and things like that. So it was not super challenging. The challenge was the, the logistics around or how can I get information that I need at night when there's no one that I know has internet close to my place. So then when you completed your studies and, and went into the workforce, what is the IT market like in Mauritius and, um, and what was it that attracted you to Accenture? Firms like Accenture and other big firms as well from the big four, they were in Mauritius already since the early 2000s. So Mauritius being a bilingual country made it a perfect spot for a lot of those big four plus other prospective companies to open the doors and help that economy go forward while providing a lot of opportunities to work with European clients, UK, France, Danish, Canada, because we have a well positioned as a good place with the time zone, one, and secondly, bilingual. And obviously, people in Mauritius will love working. Right? The country is a great melting pot of like culturally diverse people and also, I would say, well-trained talent because we have a couple of good universities there where we, we pretty much build up good technical talent to join the job market. And with the help of the likes of Accenture and some other big companies, makes it kind of easy. Now, why I wanted to make Accenture a part of that journey, for me, two things there. They're a big company, well-known in Mauritius. And for me, being exposed to working with larger clients and, and complex projects, that was one thing. And two, having Accenture on busy, I know, with a great value and chances when I moved to Sydney later. So once I start get my visa processed and, and I was kind of ready to move, it would make it easier then for me to find a job in Australia, if not working with Australia as a jump on to, into Sydney. So that was a bit the plan. I was like, okay, let's plan that worst case scenario. That was about that. 
but it, it turned out to be better, I would say. Yeah, because you came with Accenture in the end, right? But you, you mentioned um, the kind of exposure you would get at Accenture, so working on European and Canadian projects and things like that. So were you like an offshore delivery team? Were you working on projects? Were you doing BAU? Like what kind of engagements were you exposed to? So most of them were new projects. So I believe this way at that time in 2013, roughly, there was a bunch of seven of us starting to be trained on Salesforce. And there was one colleague from Accenture France that came to train us in Mauritius. So the Salesforce practice in Mauritius was starting with kind of seven of us. And some of those colleagues now with the next avenue have kind of brought, brought them on board together with us on that next avenue journey. Yeah, we were starting that practice at that time to get ready to start working on new projects. Uh, we started on a couple of big new ones first and then moved to some type of like BAU maintenance and enhancements. Mm -hmm. And then obviously you won't go too much into the kind of projects you worked on when you came to Australia, but like we said, you joined Accenture, you spent a number of years with Accenture, and then you've kind of been involved in that consulting space um, and then joined a product company. But you've all, ever since I've known you, you've been a big thinker, you've had big dreams, um, and obviously you planned those out along the way to get to Australia, and, and that was kind of one of your big goals. But have you always been someone that has had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit? And what was it about starting a business that really appealed to you? One thing that I love a lot is helping people. So it's pretty much putting others in front of yourself first. This gives me a large amount of satisfaction when I see others growing. My mom always says, give to others, don't expect nothing in return. It will happen at some point, right? Things will just happen to you. Just, just watch it, it will just happen. Since earlier stage, I had to go, well, to put it this way, I didn't complete my whole high school cycle. So when I, after, we call it a level back home, so it's like, year 10 here in Australia. I stop at year 10 with that ungraded computer, computer science, with some of the ungraded things as well around French. I went to work literally to make some money to be able to help the family home. But way earlier than that, I think it was kind of 12, we started playing with bicycles at home. So starting to change spare parts to get another bigger spare part that we didn't have. So pretty much starting with nothing, right? Starting with a front crank set and then bit by bit, it took, I don't know, like eight months or a year to start to put together a BMX bike. <laughs> and that BMX bike looked like a small wheel at the front and then a larger wheel at the back. And then the wheel is like covered with carton to make it sound so cool when you're like riding around. Only one brake, actually. If it fails, then that's what it is. You, you just use your foot on the front wheel. So yeah, we were pretty much into that one when we were kids with my friends. I kind of lost them along the way, those friends. Uh, some of them passed away, some of them... You know, went to different routes. Not all of them went to school a lot, that's for sure. And and I still remember my dad didn't like that a lot, me spending time with those friends in the neighborhood. I think that the mindset come from that time, plus also my big dreams of seeing like my neighbor, for example, who was a big manager in a big firm in Mauritius, always driving around in his big car. In the morning, I was like, ah, that's how life looks like later when you work hard, eh? Yeah, okay, let's try that. So yeah, it started, I would say, in that time, you know, trading bicycle parts, now I have a great bicycle at home, but I don't have time to ride it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how life works, unfortunately. You don't have the time. That's the problem, yeah. Exactly. At what point did you think to yourself, like, I'm in the Salesforce world and, you know, things are going well. Um, I can make a business out of this though, right? Because you never intentionally were a, a software engineer. Like, that was to get to Australia. Then you come here and, you know, things are going well. You're developing. You're getting on bigger engagements. You get, you know, a big role with, um, with service maps. At what point did you think, you know, Salesforce is the fuel, I guess, as you put it, that's going to enable me to have a business? I think that 
it happened at least five years ago or six when I said to myself, okay, before I turn a specific age, well, I'm happy to say before I turn 35 maybe, I need to be able to launch a company where I can execute really my mission of helping people at large scale. And that tied into, I'll, I'll tie that a bit more into how I can help my friends and people I love back home, who I work with before or who I don't know yet, come on the map. Let's put Mauritius on the map pretty much, right? So obviously we know all big companies. What about, let's start something small and start making some good noise with time. Let's take Mauritius from my journey. I come from Mauritius, like super proud of my, my place. This is a bit the agenda, right? How we can get Mauritius on the map, really, you know, creating a tech firm and on that journey, helping a lot of people grow, pretty much brewing the next new founders. Those people we have in the team today, they can be next founders of like a product company that's a spin-off of Next Avenue, for example. That's where I see things, right? All of that started, I don't know, surely more than five years ago, right? Bit by bit, I was across the barrier to Braulio to, you know, to move from Mauritius to go out and start, okay, now the plan is starting to go out and chase those big dreams. This is when I started having more time and to think more long-term and what we do about, if we want to make big impact, then surely you got to start with a business that groups people in a direction that's a way where everyone contributes and everyone wins together over long term. So, yeah. So, how, because obviously lots of people are out there um, that will listen to this will have aspirations of starting their own business. And, and obviously, a lot of the people that listen will be in the Salesforce ecosystem. And, you know, consulting is the, the natural or the obvious choice, right? Because different from having a product company where you need to come up with a product that needs to be sold at scale to be profitable, as a services business, like you can take one client at a time, right? And then grow it from there. And it only really takes one client to get started. So how did you address that? Like, how do you go from being an employee of a company to then having a consulting firm and getting customers? I think um, to put that this way, though, you, when you start, you're starting small, which also means that potentially it might be a jump from you being an employee to be contracting for some time. This might be a good starting point. Now, would that this way, contracting for some time can allow you to build a bit of capital to start scaling. Because when you start from scratch, a consulting firm starts scaling crazy from day one, it's near impossible because consulting is all about, it's a big relationship business. You have to be able to sell you and your team. So you're selling a brand, right? Because the main product you have slash service is people, the trust that businesses are gonna put into you and your people to deliver and take them on that, on the journey pretty much, right? So, and I think it's a bit of a challenge. So starting small, potentially jumping to contracting over, I don't know, maybe a year, two years or three years, however long it can take to make you feel that, okay, it's about time you leave the comfort zone and start going to be a proper business. You flip to like pretty much no revenue and you have to go out and start finding clients, right? Be like a proper business, right? You're starting from scratch, you got nothing, and now you have to do proper business development. You have to wear multi-hats at the same time. You have to think about recruitment, about developing a pipeline of work. People is also a pipeline, so you get a, you need a pipeline of people. Yeah, it's like you got to think tactical, plus also think strategy about where you're going. So not, not super easy. I mean, to, to put that this way, it's easy to start a consulting firm not so easy to scale it. My own opinion is like, pretty much, I don't want to say it's easier to scale a product company, but there's a huge difference between scaling a, a product company in a, in a consulting firm. And the one, that key main difference is people. You're trying to scale culture, which is very hard, 
right? So not a large amount of companies get it right or kind of near right and, and great. Uh, obviously, we, we all know Salesforce as a big brand, and this is like one example of culture at scale. Right, but we created great culture for 70,000 people. But yeah, like that didn't happen overnight, right? It didn't happen overnight. It happened over 20 years, right? You see, you see the figure, right? So consulting, I think, starting small by contracting potentially, unless if you come from the sales background and you're used to going out prospecting business development, it would help greatly because then you know where to go and how to address people you don't know to take them on board. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Coming from a sales background obviously helps with that, but then it doesn't solve the problem of delivery, right? Because uh, that's the other challenge. That's the other challenge, exactly, right? So obviously you rarely meet people that have both sides. I would say that along that journey over the last nearly two years, I had to up the game in improving or, or creating pretty much a sales pitch and curating that, get better at it, get better at it so that becomes second nature. I fairly believe that everyone can do, right? Because I don't come from sales background. I never worked in sales before. And when I saw my friends and colleagues do before in large companies, I was always like, oh, okay, how those guys do that? Starting to put decks together and putting like little icons here and then having a proper talk track. Just to put it this way, to build trust and close the deal, right? So how are people doing that? These are those type of questions that then I had to answer on the fly pretty much, I would say from last year. So I had to turn a lot into a salesman. Yeah, and you've got no one to, at that point, you're, you've got no one to observe. Like you say, you're doing it on the fly. Like you're kind of making up as you go and learning from your mistakes and um, correct and addressing and changing uh, what isn't working for what might work. So we've, you, you've touched on like the pipeline of people, pipeline of projects, like being in a sales role, um, thinking strategically. If there was one big challenge that you could point to as being a, the owner of a consulting practice for you and at the stage in your journey so far, what would you say the biggest challenge has been? I think um, one of the biggest challenges uh, people um, that are keen to be part of a journey genuinely. Well, because to put it this way, especially right now, post-pandemic, the market is really tough. We all know that. So having people who are keen to onboard the, the journey is really hard stuff like recruitment. And then the second thing is also staring very, um, how to say, on top of financials. So, you know, your billing, revenues and expenses, they're like, I would say they're like the two top ones, two top challenges that I've had been facing. So um, in terms of um, like addressing the talent shortage, like obviously, yeah, people have lots of options right now. It's hard to compete, right? And I know you, you haven't solved this challenge yet because obviously it's, it's ongoing. There's no getting away from the fact that it's hard to scale a, a people business and finding the right people. But what have you found to be the most important? And um, I guess like how, how important is transparency for you when hiring, when people do have lots of opportunities? Yeah, look, you're totally right on that. When I'm interviewing or somebody else interviewing in our team, we've been pretty much open book about what's happening on the day-to-day, -day, how hard it is, what amount of effort and love and care we're putting every day and why it is important. And also there's something I, I don't want to say I use, but I've been very open all the time is every time I'm meeting someone and say, hey, for us, it's very important. We have someone we can help win so that the person can help us win as well, right? So it's a win-win situation here, but for a win-win situation to happen, it has to be at least for, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or two years where that person can create significant amount of impact like on their personal journey, plus also contribute in that crew right, into the brand. So 
And I've been very open and chat about this in detail because, yeah, we all know that people would come and go. No one stays forever. It's, kind of, it's rare now to see people coming in for 20 years, right? So it, it doesn't happen. But at least I think having an open chat about that and recognizing that, hey, yeah, look, we are still small. We have a flat structure. We are being challenged into this aspect, this aspect, and these are the type of customers we're working with. These are the type of products that we're delivering on. And this is our cadence of work on a weekly basis. And saying, adding to that as well, that we're also trying to turn into like, I don't want to say a four-day week work, but having like a regular, like once a month, Friday off type of thing. It's like a, a bit of a wellness day, right? So putting a bit more, how to say, flexibility for people. Because I know people also want to work remotely and only remotely, and that's fine. We support that as well. But, you know, being open about it, I think I try to make the move before people ask for it. Can we work remote? We say, yes, we know that you're going to ask that. So yes, can work remote. But it might happen that we might just jump on a plane for a day trip somewhere to visit someone, yeah? But not often. Do you, because um, I've known you to be a bit of a workaholic over the years, like, and obviously when you, you work on your own business, you you know, it's it's natural to want to invest that time, but you, like, even to, to the degree before you had your own business, I know you'd be going to meetup events and like in that startup community and like you fully invested that time and effort into being engaged and involved in those communities and always working on something. So um, have you like had to learn that as a leader? more empathy around uh, other people might not necessarily have that that drive and and obviously it's not their business right so you can't expect them to put the hours in that you are so having that wellness day obviously like things like that are well um, publicized in the press now but obviously there are some leaders out there that still aren't behind things like that so has that come with time for you and and accepting that people aren't going to work and aren't able and you shouldn't expect them to work as much and also has that kind of aligned with you being a dad as well because i know like you've probably had more responsibility since then at home and needing more time away from the office as well yeah correct you're right there that's why we said to people that for us all to succeed one of our core values is really about care so that's what we say to our people we know that it's not your business but the amount of contribution you're putting into it is literally setting the like how to say, stepping stones for your future as well, right? So you're surely creating a large amount of impact, not only to a business here, but to your own career or to your own personal legend. Obviously, my team knows that I have I have a little one, but I navigate around time in my calendar to get things done. The other thing about being honest to the whole team at, you know, at consulting, no one works 40 hours, right? Let's put that this way. But being open about, hey guys, you can start later. There's no problem about you stepping on a bike in the morning and come back at 10 o'clock. As long as we make the customer meetings and we keep things on track, this is what's more key. Now, to keep people engaged, I think of the long term is also getting people to take on responsibility because I think that's one key thing there. If you feel that you're an important piece of a puzzle that can make it either succeed or fail, I think this is a super important, right? Those two aspects. So we are all either one leg of a chair that can either make it succeed or fail, right? So on a weekly basis, I run pretty much our all heads to stay close to people. This is very key and important. As a, I don't like calling myself a business leader, but me running the company and trying to take everyone somewhere and you know build something that would be durable over, over a long amount of years, it's important to stay close to my whole team although I don't want to spend that amount of time with them every hour in a week. Right, so having two all hands per week where we go through things around culture, 
and a bit of like bring and share what's happening on other projects and, and you know challenges and talk about it openly on, on some of those calls really helped the whole the whole crew. How do you make sure, because obviously your role has changed, you've gone from, you know, you're the founder, um, you are focusing heavily on sales and, you know, bringing people in to help um, and delegating in, in the right way. But how conscious are you are that you are spending your, your time in the right areas and obviously not spreading yourself too thinly? Like, how do you manage that? Good question. To put that this way, right, there would be fires every day. I don't want to say every day, but there'll be fires quite often where you would have to step out from what you're doing. For example, focusing on the big picture, sales activities, PR, the branding of the company, business development and the network, that's kind of key and important to keep a healthy part out of work. And also looking at governance with my project managers and the crew, looking at project governance and look at things that are still, you know, kind of going to be delivered on time. I would say it happened time to time that I have to step out and go help them at the back, just because we're still a small team. Now, as we go, I learn how to, you know, delegate a few things that would then create the time to help me work on the business rather than working in the business right, and be hands-on. Obviously, over the time, I had to swap a lot from being technical. I don't want to say like, you know, wash my hands off anything technical. No, but I, I might step in five minutes onto something once a week, for example, right, just to help something. But this is something that you learn as you go and as you find a need for more people to help the capacity to come in so therefore you have to put more attention on recruitment you have to put more attention on your pipeline you have to put more attention on finances you start building a bit of a map of like these are the key important things that are how to say crucial for the day-to-day running of the company plus also its long-term durability so then these are the main things that you focus on the whole week week after week yeah and we uh, touched on earlier the fact that you know you can't just uh, build a a people business overnight with a culture and the only real way to scale quickly is obviously like investment and you know multiple founders investing a lot of money into the business so obviously like being a bootstrap business as well like and when you're hiring and you are transparent with people like i I think there's there is often like uh, when people are struggling to hire and looking to hire and like sometimes people do mislead and say, you know, like the world's fabulous and we've got this amazing pipeline and, you know, we'll get you to CTA in no time. Like in terms of the the transparency around this is being funded by your work, your pocket, like this business is growing through your investment yourself, right? You're not, you haven't gone out to the market for investment. Like, is that something that you are fairly open? Uh, you will be now because it's on the podcast, but is that something that you, you know, you're open sharing with people and, and people understand that this isn't, you know, and in business that has millions of dollars in reserve that's been given by venture capitalists. Yeah, correct. Look, um, maybe for the whole audience, we, we just touch on that. Like the fact about being bootstrap relies a lot on, you know, our billing to customers we're working with every month or, you know, milestone billing based on projects we're executing, which in turn also make the salaries for, for the staff, the salaries and all the allowances that, you know, and equipment. <laughs> you know, your computers or, you know, any little event we're doing. It might be a little breakfast or lunch. It might be a, like air travel as well. So being bootstrapped will rely a lot on that money. There's obviously advantages being bootstrapped, as you know, in having, you know, money from investors. So that, again, to turn back to what we do on a weekly basis and explaining to people the importance of like staying sharp and on time as best we can with the quality, with the amount of care that's required, 
This is very key because else we won't survive as a as a business, as a crew, right? Mm-hmm. I see Next Avenue as a platform, right? So we can't survive without the people because that's our greatest assets. And um, I think a lot of people just overlook the fact that it's very difficult to get money from customers, right? Yes. Like I think a lot of people that don't own a business or don't run a business just think that invoices get paid, but like they don't. Like that's that's one of the realities of, of business. Like it takes a long time sometimes to get that money. Yes, this is also a true reality. And I think COVID made it worse. The situation post-COVID made it worse when enduring as well, because what we notice is a large amount of businesses there's two options. Right? Either they delay payments because also they're facing cash flow issues. I think this is the this is one of the key <laughs> problems that any business founders would find at some point. And this, this is like the one-on-one thing about running a business, right? Cash flow is key. Took me a bit of time to learn about, <laughs> about it, but yeah, now I have to stay on top of that. This is like crucial. But yeah, there's two things why it falls apart and you know, a large amount of businesses don't pay on time. Is either, you know, the emails get lost because it went through a middle person before it goes to the accounts. Because someone at your customer, for example, might review that before it gets approved. Although it's kind of approved already, the email gets lost further down under, right? Not many techniques you can put in place to, you know, uh, how to say, to er- eradicate that. You need to be constant on follow-ups. Plus also maybe using a specific date to send your invoices, right? Where people are less busy. I don't know. This is the type of tactics we use. And the other thing is, yeah, during COVID, a lot of businesses found large amount of small, medium businesses are, you know, face issues. That's the reality of life. And yeah, it's tough. For people that like are thinking, oh, this sounds awful. Like it's stressful, right? Running a business like this is, especially when you've got people to pay. Is it always apparent to you that it's worthwhile or are there ever days where you're like, oh, this just isn't? Put it this way, I, want, I don't want to lie. It is challenging and also brings a lot of rewards to running a business. Don't get me wrong, running a consulting firm, bootstrap, won't get you rich. I think in any way, Running a consulting firm don't get you super rich, right? And that's not the main intent of starting Next Avenue anyway. Right? We wanted to create something different, make impact. I would say, put it this way, like take Mauritius on the map. Obviously, we exist here as an Australian entity and New Zealand entity as well. But long term, this is what we're trying to do a lot of things around Africa, right? So... Yeah, so I wanted to explore like what's next because, um, you know, I think for people that don't know you, I'll, I'll shed some light in that, you know, you do have big goals, um, but you achieved them, right? So, you know, you wanted to move to Australia, you went and studied something that you'd not necessarily um, flourished at before and, and passed and eventually you're in Australia. I know uh, you mentioned you wanted to be a, an airline pilot. I know you've got your pilot license, so you might not be flying jumbo jets yet, but you're uh, flying planes and obviously wanted to start a business and put Mauritius on the map and you've got a team in Mauritius and the company's growing. You're a couple of years in now, which a lot of startups don't get to, you know, so it, it's impressive that you've you've achieved those goals. But what's next on your uh, your hit list? Look, um, what's next for us is to survive and thrive here in the region. Yeah, it's it's tough time out there. There's a lot of speculations, obviously, about the economy going in recession and all of that, but it's not going to scare us. Let's keep marching on with the same amount of care. That's what I said to my team, with the same amount of care, working with our clients and customers. We keep moving on, right? We keep working hard. That's the number one thing. And then in African region, our team we have there, uh, we're starting to ramp up a bit, I don't want to say faster, but ramping up people plus also um, our network in the African region. So which means that we're, we're going to be working more with clients that are, for example, in, in the South African region or in Mauritius or in Kenya and Nigeria, uh, hopefully in the next six months. That's what I see kind of short term. And then when we look at like a year and a half up to five years, 
uh, we surely have a UK branch and the US branch on as well. Well, cross fingers, we're going to keep working hard for it. Obviously, I, want, I don't want to put all the surprises here on this call, but let's try to do our best. We're just trying to build a formula to make a small consulting firm global. Well, I wouldn't bet against you, put it that way. So uh, thank you very much for sharing the journey and being very honest and open with the challenges as well and sharing some of your tips along the way. So if anyone wants to reach out and pick your brains and ask any further questions, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Send me a little LinkedIn message. I'm happy to share my you know, phone number or, or email. We can have a chat. Usually Friday late afternoon, so really good for a chat. That's when you're sending your invoices. <laughs> um, they're pretty much better for a chat, but yeah. Happy to chat a weekend Saturday morning as well while I have my coffee. So awesome. For sure, I have a clearer brain to talk. In. Well, thanks so much. Absolute pleasure chatting, Stefano. My pleasure. My pleasure, man. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon and thanks again.